Hello, naked peeps, and you're listening to another episode of The Naked Nerd. I am the Naked Nerd himself. How are you going, everyone? So, this week's episode was going to be uh, talking about uh, an experience at Werong. Unfortunately, it has come down with a bit of rain, which means that the track itself would be too slippery for me and Mr. Black. Mr. Black. Uh, it would have made us a little... It, well, in itself, it would have been a little bit dangerous and a little bit slippery. Um, and so we decided not to continue on with that for at least for an, a good couple of weeks until uh, the sun sets in. Oh, sorry, until the rain stop. Um, but in the meantime, I thought it would be a great time to catch up with Mr. Black, uh, particularly as the Doctor Who current series ended a couple of weeks ago, and I just really wanted to have a bit of a chat with him, to be honest, uh, because in this week's uh, postings that I've made on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, I've talked about how we like nerdy things, but one thing that you probably already know, listeners, is that me and Mr. Black share a very common interest of Doctor Who, and I thought we would just sit down and have a bit of a chat about uh, how we both feel about the current series and where we think Doctor Who is uh, heading towards. So, welcome back to the show, Mr. Black. Pleasure to be here. Alright, so, uh, let's get things underway. So, let me just ask you, uh, what do you think of the current series? Ugh, I struggled with it. Why is that? I've struggled with it, with the show itself for a couple of years, but I just think it's getting worse and worse. Oh, really? What, what, what makes you say that? Just... Jodie Whittaker as a writer as the Doctor, but it's the writing. Um, Chris Chibnall, the head writer, I don't, I'm not really big on him and the style of it, and it's all a bit all over the place. All right. Do you think it's kind of very similar in in the way of say the Sixth Doctor, like when he was the Doctor, there was issues with his writing with uh, was it John Turner? John Nathan Turner. Yes, I noticed that a couple of years ago that um. Uh, the David Tennant era really mirrored Tom Baker's era in the 70s of sort of the show at its peak. And then Matt Smith following on from David Tennant was very much like the Peter Davison era where um, that was leading into the anniversary special and there was all this excitement for the show which immediately dropped off straight after the 20th anniversary show which happened this time around with the 50th anniversary show. Uh Peter Capaldi after Matt Smith was very much mirroring the Colin Bacon era where like a lot of fans left in droves and they didn't really know what to do with Peter's uh, doctor. And now we're straight into the McCoy era where um, I can understand why so many fans were dropping off 30 years ago because if I wasn't so invested in the show, I think I would be dropping out by now. Mm. I myself, I actually did like uh, some of the episodes... Like, um, I did like the, the Ruth Doctor episode, uh, what was it, the, the Dudoon episode, uh, the Dudoon. Prisoner of the Dudoon. Yes, that's the one, that's the one. I liked that one because it kept me on my feet for, uh, for quite some time. It kept me thinking who was a bad guy and what was going to happen, because up until that point, any reveal of a of a new doctor or anything like that was not in my mind like at all would you say the same for you yes it was um i really hooked you in that big surprise but yeah i actually would agree like it just really hooked you in um in terms of what you thought uh what do you think they could have done better with this particular series 
uh, what they could do better. I don't know. Um, what I really miss is just the TARD, every new episode, the TARDIS just landing somewhere new and just having an adventure. It's sort of been lost. It's all a bit, I don't know, this this series, the barely any episodes open with the TARDIS actually landing somewhere random and then just stepping out and having an adventure. A lot of stories started with the Doctor and the companions had already been there a while and they sort of just jumped straight into the action of whatever's happening. Yeah, I do remember actually talking to you about this particular thing. Like, we barely see the TARDIS at all. Even the inside of it, we just basically yeah. see... Like the dog was like, hey, I've been here for a while. How's it going? Um, like- that was also happening in the late 80s, but mostly because the TARDIS set was being junked. Oh, so yes. they couldn't practice, they couldn't actually use it. But I don't know, they still have the set these days, but it's barely used. Yeah, I mean, they could have really used it a, a little bit more and, and a little bit more fluidly because I remember it was the Nicholas Tesla episode. I, I felt that they could have used more of it. Like, even in the scenes where he was... The Tesla. Tesla was in the TARDIS with... Um, oh, what's his... Edison. Yes. I thought they could have used it a little bit more. Like, it was just... I think it was, like, barely a minute of the actual inside of the TARDIS. Um, yeah, which which is a shame, because uh, the entire theme of Doctor Who is about his adventures in the TARDIS, and we, we barely get to see enough of it. Um... What do you think, in terms of anything else, what could they have done better in terms of the series? Because I, I felt that it was okay, but it wasn't um, exactly great. So how would you, how would you, if you were like one of the writers or directors, how would you actually change Doctor Who? Oh, God. Um, I think I'd just pull it back and simplify it a bit more. That, especially... Uh, Stephen Moffat's the showrunner before the current one. He the biggest problem I had with him was he made the show way too convoluted, and um, I mean I love complicated, interesting stuff, but he he just got stupidly convoluted, and it just sucked a lot of the fun out of it. Like I would never know what was going on, I wouldn't remember plot points or, or who monsters were and things like that. Um, I think just. Russell T Davies, who was a showrunner before him, he kept the show not simplistic, but it was very um, direct. I would actually have to agree with you on that because, um, particularly with Moffat, he did have these this tendency to like put you in episodes where there was definitely some uh, forgettable moments. Like it was that dull episode where uh, Matt Smith's Doctor. Uh, basically traveled to help this kid out who basically turned everyone into dolls. Do you remember that episode? Like it was that just... was um who played the brigadier's grandfather in Peter's last episode? Oh um, what oh Gatus? Mark Gatus. Mark Gatus read yes. that one. Yeah, um, I I found that one particularly forgettable. Like even though it was terrifying, it was it was just one of those filler episodes that kind of was only there because it needed to be. Um, I definitely would agree with you on that. Um, but when uh, Russell T Davies uh, first presented with the new series, I f- was instantly in love with Christopher Eccleston's Doctor. Like, um, I think you would agree with me that 
there should have been more of Christopher Eccleston, even though um, issues aside that like uh, with uh, contracts and like rumors and all of that, there should have just been more of Eccleston, just a lot more of him than we've been given. I think he should have done at least one more year and like wrap up all the Rose stuff. His companion was Rose. Uh, when Rose got handed over to Tennant, it was sort of a bit, yeah. Yeah, I actually agree with you on that because I love I love David Tennant. I love him as the Tenth Doctor, but he should have at least come at least later on. Like I get that they were trying to basically introduce uh, the whole idea of the Doctor's history, particularly regeneration, quite early on. But I just felt it was. I think that's just because they were forced to because Eccleston was out within one year. True, but to be fair, that's how it kind of started with Hartnell anyway, because of his health problems and his inability to basically be on set for long periods of time. Um, so in terms of this series, do you think you have a favourite companion or would you, would you say uh, none of the companions have uh, met your standards? I None of the companions have really stood out to me since... Rose, Martha, and Donna. Um, but, yeah, these three, they don't... There's not much to them. Um, I do... Lo- I have sort of... Maybe of the three, Yaz stands out to me. Uh, Ryan, he... He's very mopey, and he hasn't had much character development. There was this whole backstory about him where he's got Asperger's, and that's barely ever addressed... Um, Wait, really? When was when was this? Because I may have missed that particular. And he's the very first Jodie Whittaker episode. Um, he's first seen trying to ride a bike or something, and he gets frustrated with it and throws it down the hill. Oh no, that was Asperger's. It was a uh, dyspraxia. Dyspraxia, right? Always oh, getting yeah. mixed up. That that's all right. Um, yeah, because no, you're definitely right. He he is he was very mopey, particularly in uh, this season. Um, but I also felt that he was just. There was just a lot that needed uh, to be developed in terms of his character. Like, well, all three of them. Um, uh, I can't, what's the name? I see. I'm so out of touch with this new season. I can't even think of the characters' names. He's the oldest companion. Oh, that would be Graham. 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 Yeah. He's there's not much to him. He only stands out as being an older companion, which is something completely new. Well, at least for. Well, in terms of his age, yes, actually. Because um, in TV series, at least, um, most of the companions have been quite young. Yeah, I think the oldest from memory was Ian and Barbara, who were in their 30s. Oh, yes, of course. And everyone else are more 20s or even teenagers. Yeah, actually, you're not wrong there. Because with Graham, though, like, he, he, he did provide, like, a couple of, like laughs now and then like no offense to the actor who played him because i think he did a really good job i just felt that he was just there just as more of an anchor to ryan because he's basically ryan's step-grandfather yeah and that's basically it but you're you're definitely right for me ryan was just so mopey like um i remember not in this series but in the previous series like when he was in I'm going to say Norway. I'm I'm pretty sure it's Norway. Uh, when uh, he was helping the blind girl, and he uh, was basically like not believing in what she had to say, 
because she felt uh, she had experienced uh, being scared of a monster or something. And Marvin's like, hmm, uh, I don't think I'm... Well, I don't think he used these exact words. But he was like, oh, I, I'm not sure monsters are real. Meanwhile, in other episodes, he's seen aliens, other planets. And he's just like, oh, monsters in Norway. That's a bit kooky. <laughs> like, don't you agree? Yeah. Um, when I think of him, I just think of him sort of standing there and frowning. And um, he doesn't really do much. Like, the only two episodes that he kind of was uh, slightly emotional was in the episode with the with the uh, two, like, guardians of those two planets. And uh, one of them was, like, basically enhancing the nightmares of people, like, stealing nightmares with the, with the like, disposable fingers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, like, um, because his friend was going through a depression and he was afraid that by leaving him behind that he was going to lose his friend to depression or whatever, which was good. In Not, you know, losing the friend to depression is good, but the way he actually portrayed it was more emotional depth than he had been seen in other previous episodes. Um, yeah, he just... It, Ryan needs a little bit more development, particularly w- um, when we had that first episode with him in the previous series. When you're giving like so much backstory, but there was like nothing to go from there. Like, do you think? Do you agree with me on that? Like, there was like yeah, so much, but this- that's something new. If you go back to the classic era, companions like Melanie Bush, who travelled with the Sixth Doctor, she was written as a computer programmer. And that was never used as a character. She just became a generic screamer. Um, um, who else? Uh, Perry, the companion before her, she was a botanist, and her botany knowledge never got used for anything. See, that is one. That's one companion. Like, I love the actress, but Perry as a companion like really annoyed me because she she's basically English but tending to be American. Yeah, I wish they had. I got an actual American actress to play her. Yeah. That would have been more interesting. It's kind of like how in that the first episode, Spyfall, uh, um, when they had Australian police, but they were South African, and you could tell like how thick their accent was. Yeah. Like, like really, like, hi, an Australian. And I don't just say that in a the, in the slightly, you know, patriotic way, but, you know, when it comes to accents, like, hire a person from that country. Because it just felt like... They were like, oh, well, while we're in South Africa, we might as well employ someone as an Australian, not realising that they don't really sound anything like us. But then the opposite of that, I've been revisiting the Patrick Chaffin stories and Zoe, his last companion, she was a... She came from a space station in the late 21st century and was a librarian with computer skills. And her um, encyclopedic type brain and computer knowledge was used a lot um she used it in the crotons um in the first unit story uh the invasion with the cybermen um the unit soldiers are blown away by her computer knowledge and would rather use her than the actual computer one of them Mm. says can't we keep her sir she's much prettier than a computer (laughs) classic um you've got to admire uh the writers for, or at least the directors for, at least trying. But for me, like going back to talking about Perry though, 
she just really annoyed me because all she did was like scream and be like, oh, doctor, oh, these materials come Oh, doctor. Yeah, pretty much in a very like American accent. And it was just like, could you like not, you know, panic every 20 seconds? Like, could you just, you know, be, I don't know, a little bit more in depth? Um, but I just uh, laid it all down to like really bad writing. That's all. Um, but in terms of, um, how the series ended, um, with, uh, the doctor being imprisoned, like, how did you feel about that? I heard they did that. I don't know if this is just a rumor or what, uh, there was a lot of trouble this season where, um, BBC wanted to out, um, Chris Chibnall, they wanted to get him out and Jodie Whittaker says, if Chris is going, I'm going. And they weren't actually sure if Jodie was coming back next year. I've heard that her being shoved in the prison was a uh, sort of what they did in Star Wars with Han being put in carbonite. They didn't know if Han, uh, if Harrison Ford was coming back for Return of the Jedi. This is, I think they've done the same thing here. The reason that she's been shoved in jail all, all of a sudden is they don't know what they're going to do with the next season. They didn't know if Jodie was coming back, and that's why they did it. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I, I actually have not heard well i've heard there were issues because with uh this particular series there's been a lot of issues and particular debates about uh how the direction of show is going particularly when it uh, comes to chibnall because when with chibnall he's not a but he's not bad in terms of writing like he he did um broad church which was a very good series he was the main writer on torchwood Yes, um, but with Doctor Who, particularly as it brought in a new female Doctor, like a lot of people uh, debated about, oh, it's uh, is it really necessary that we have a female Doctor because otherwise it's going to be a little bit too PC from here on in, like all these like different things. But um, I believe because of the ratings of the previous series, I think that had a lot to do with it. Would you say that would be... a a really big factor in it into like some of the stories behind it. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, the first season, the first Chris Chibnall season in 2018 got scathing reviews and it was so badly received. They actually took a year off to sort of rewrite or rethink the whole show. Um, and I could see this year that like Chibnall is just shoehorned in all this like, Oh my God, this reveal and that reveal. It was all a bit too much. Like the there was a whopping big reveal at the end that there is another thirteen doctors before William Hartnell, the first doctor, and that the doctor's not even a time lord. She's a what was known as a timeless child. Was that it? Yes, the timeless child. And you know what? I completely agree with you on uh, particularly with the whole aspect of Chibnall. Like the first series itself. I think what Chibnall was trying to do was start afresh and not really uh, use some of the old Doctor Who uh, villains or monsters. But that backfired big time. Everyone hated it. Yeah. Um, I think particularly with some of the monsters that were... They were like they were scary, but it just didn't have that same panache, that same feel of like the previous monsters, like the Suntarans or the Cybermen or the Daleks or uh, even the Slovene. Uh, I would I would imagine 
uh, Chibnall wanting to put in the Slovene just, you know, just for old time's sake. But I, I really felt that, like, they really pushed in quite a bit as well. Like, even with the Cybermen, because it, it was basically all about the Cybermen uh, at the end. Um, like, in the beginning of this series, I thought uh, the big reveal was going to be like, hey, uh, the Cybermen uh, have become the light people, the uh, Kavarians, or I think that's what it's called. Um, but, yeah, it was just a lot to take in. Like, it was good in some respects, but it was just a lot. And I think... Uh, I can see where they... I think the current season was season 37. Yes. Going all the way back to 1963. I can see with a 37 season running show that you've constantly got to be upping the ante and making it fresh and stuff. There was a big thing to reveal 37 years in that you've never heard of before. I, I would have to agree, particularly with the timeless child. Like, um, I, it, I think it added more question to the doctor himself or herself, or themselves, actually. If if we're going through uh, correct terminology, I think themselves would be most more appropriate, given that there's multiple versions of them. Um, but it just felt like there was so many more questions that needed to be answered. Yeah, like um, Lost. Couldn't stand that show. Oh. Too many questions, not enough answers, and I think that's what the show's becoming now. Well... We'll just have to wait and see because, uh, like like I said in the ending, uh, the Doctor is now in a prison, which I think could be the uh, the Shadow Proclamation, given of what how it looks like, how it looks. Uh, what do you think? I thought it could be the prison from Shardar, the last nineteen seventy nine story. Oh, that had yes. a big Time Lord prison, though it's not a Time Lord prison. I said you're doing prison, so maybe not. Mm, well. Time will tell. Um, so, in in that respect, uh, that's all we really have for in terms of Doctor Who. And now on to a very, I would say, important part of this particular podcast. I would like to talk to you guys about sexuality. And when I say sexuality, I don't mean having sex. But uh, that's neither here nor there. But uh, I'd like to talk to you guys about sexuality because as a nudist... Um, I define myself by who I am, dealing with my own truths. And for a lot of people, sexuality is a big part of that. Now, I myself identify as a, uh, a bisexual uh, male, or, sorry, bisexual man. Um, but other people don't necessarily have that luxury of being able to classify themselves. Uh, Mr. Black, what would you identify yourself as? Gay. Just gay? Gay male? Or... Oh, gay male. Yes. Um, and in terms of being a gay male, um, how would you say that helps in your definition of who you are? Um, I don't think it really defines me at all. As, especially now that I'm single. I think when I had a partner before, maybe it defined me more. But now that I'm single, like it has very little to do with me. Okay. And what would you say... Um, Actually, let me rephrase. What uh, would say was the pinnacle moment that made you say, hey, I'm gay? Like, not like, you know, there was like a sign telling you, hey, you're gay. There you go. I think it took a very long time to work out 
um, I find it interesting. You and I both grew up in the 90s and early 2000s when um, it wasn't the same as it is now mm. with um, homosexuality. Back, I remember back in high school, I went to a very homophobic high school. And to me, I didn't realize that gay people actually existed in the real world. I just thought it was a TV and movie thing. So I really only knew it from the Simpsons episode with John Waters and in South Park, um, Big Gay Al and Satan's relationship with Saddam Hussein and things like that. That was, that was all I understood of <laughs> sexuality. Yeah. So it really took me years to work it out myself that yes, it's a real life thing and it's okay. But, uh, wholeheartedly agree with you particularly in that time period because that was just yeah in because i went to a um a religious school and um back then it really wasn't something that we talked about um we had uh we had gay kids at school i'd say a gay kid because back then it, it wasn't like hey that kid's gay ha 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 um we just basically knew um but for me, I really struggled, particularly as someone growing up in a religious household. It's not something that is seen as normal. Um, do you, uh, so you were saying that in your high school, it was compl- it was a bit homophobic. What do you mean by that? It was just the biggest insult you could get was being called gay. It was just, it was taboo. It was the worst thing in the world if you were gay. It was horrible yeah and you could be called gay for many things i remember back in back particularly in that time period you could be gay for anything like if you liked uh, pokemon you're gay if you liked uh, certain uh, types of music you're considered to be gay like there was like just so many things that you could be called gay for and not necessarily just because you like the, the same sex would you agree with you, me on that? Yeah, that's that was very much the culture circa 2000, that time period. Yeah, I, that takes me back. Oh, man. I just realised the other day that the, the year 2000 was tw- exactly 20 years ago. And it just made me feel really, really old. Because I still think uh, 10 years ago was the 90s. Like, I just, I just felt... So much time has passed without really realizing that. But in terms of sexuality, um, do you think um, it's progressed in a good way or in a bad way for people? Sometimes I feel it has, but then we come to things like the 2017 plebiscite, which was this nationwide vote they had. Mm. They said, do you agree? I can't remember what the wording of it was. Do you agree that uh, same-sex people should be allowed to be married or something like that, yes or no, and you had to tick the box. Uh, can I tell you, that particular uh, few months of that plebiscite, that was just horrifying. Um, you really get to know who your real friends are, particularly with things like this. And this is where I would definitely compare our, strug- our struggle sex- with sexuality with those of uh, the news community. Just being able to be seen as people, not just, you know things or just something that's uh taboo like with that plebiscite i remember losing quite a number of friends because of it because they were like oh this uh this marriage bill is going to impede on how i live 
um, and my own point of view. And to which I was like, how? Like That was the biggest problem with it. It was more corruption and paranoia and appeasing the right wing faction than anything else. And it just impacted on everyone else when it really shouldn't have. It should never have been a vote. It just should have been put straight through. Done. Yeah, and it was quite a big waste of money because all those like paper uh, forms, basically, just one question, and all you really needed to do was put a tick or across, and oh sorry, a tick on yes or no, and it was just a big waste of money. But- That's where the corruption comes into it because it could have been an online thing and saved so much paper, but they were really going for the older people. They really wanted that. They really. Um, swayed it that they wanted no to win so they directed at old people they directed it with the postal vote and all the younger people then had to be brought in to sign on to vote um it's just fucked Uh, yeah no i i think that sums up very nicely to be honest because it was just it brought up quite a lot of um angst and it just brought out a really very mean side of people that uh, it, it's actually still happening today, particularly with the coronavirus. It just brings out this like very huge amount of uh, unnecessary tension, um, particularly with uh, that particular vote. It brought out extremists on both sides. So you had the no voters who were basically saying things like, uh, oh, if you vote yes on same-sex marriage, then my kid is going to have to wear a dress to school. Oh. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like, it was just one of those things, it was like, how does, how do those two things go together? Spoken on that ad by the biggest bogan woman, school said my son could wear a dress to school if he liked. <sighs> like, it, it had nothing to do with wearing a dress or not. Um, but it, it was just something that I think people were like, oh yeah, if we say, uh, boys have to wear dresses, that... Uh, it would tackle like the older people be like oh no we want you know uh this and this one of them from that ad was you can find her on facebook she's called political posting mama and she's just a right-wing scaremonger she's totally for um oh they're all pedophiles and your your children will be in danger and all that all her posts are about that sort of shit yeah it was just it's posts like that that were just really circulating. But also there were extremists on the other side of things as well. Like there were people who, um, not just in the, when I say extremists, I'm not talking about, you know, people just saying, um, I'm going to defend you straight away if you don't say, uh, yes, but there were people attacking, um, other minorities. Like I believe there was a, a woman in Victoria who was, uh, said something in the lines of uh like go back to your country to i think it was like this like young muslim couple who were just uh going about their business like but in terms of that it just brought out quite a, a big uh an important side of people that i really didn't like and particularly for uh guys like us and people in the LGBTQIA community, it just brought on this really unnecessary angst between one another. Um, But when the actual uh, vote uh, eventually got the yes, how did you feel? 
I was just relieved because it was six months of utter hell and I wasted so much energy getting on Facebook and arguing with right-wing conservatives and um, religious nutters and yeah, it's just a relief when it was finally over and that we won and not the bad guys. I was so worried that the bad guys were going to win. And there were quite a few. I remember it was like Bob Catter. Um, talking about sexual proclivities, <laughs> but we won't we're spend all, any. We're all t- entitled to their sexual proclivities. Let a thousand blossoms bloom, as far as I'm concerned. But I'm not spending any more time on it. But I'm not spending any more time on it, because every day a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in far north Queensland. <laughs> you do that so well. That is awesome but yeah um, i remember he was like one of the only two or three people that were like against the vote and those who uh, abstained from the vote i think included people like uh, tony effin abbott yeah i think he abstained from the vote and uh what's his face um uh, What's his name? We keep talking about him in in his like you know pre- getting uh, someone else pregnant or what's his name? Uh, Barnaby. Oh Barnaby, yes, lovely Barnaby Barnaby Joyce. Um, he abstained from that vote. Um, when that vote actually happened, I was actually really happy that it was all over myself. Um, it, it was just a moment where I thought, okay, we can go forward from here on in we can go places um for me it was more about the younger generation where like i was saying growing up in the 90s and 2000s it was hidden away and so it was confusing to me but if it's normalized in society then people don't the younger generations who might be confused about their sexuality won't go through all the confusion and what am i is this all right yeah um, I would definitely agree with you on that because especially with the, the younger generation now because uh, it's not just you know being about being gay, straight or bisexual or any type of sexuality it's all about uh, what gender you identify now because there's, so, there's just a lot of people who don't necessarily fit into that norm um, or what we typically associate as a norm there's people who identify themselves as male or trans male or trans uh, uh, women or identify themselves as uh, gender queer or gender bi- not sorry non uh, binary. It's just all these different things that people, particularly young people, go through now. Um, and I think it's just one step to help them in in terms of understanding that that we can move forward. But it's just it's going to take some time. What what do you think? Yeah, it's uh, great steps forward, but um, with our current government, I think we're not going to get much further at the moment. But that goes for a lot of things, not just sexuality. I would hope... Actually, I would agree with you on that, particularly when it comes to being naked, because um, unfortunately, with uh, laws at the moment, we have to stick to certain uh, guidelines. So we have to accept certain laws where we can only be naked in certain places, like nude beaches, or at, or at home, or, you know, just uh, in certain designated spots. And it's very unfortunate that we don't really embrace uh, nudity as much as we should, because I think if we embraced our uh, nudity a little bit more 
uh, in terms of how we are as a country, like in other parts of Europe, uh, where uh, nudity laws are uh, pretty progressive, and there's actual nudist towns, nudist cities, uh, we are still a uh, long ways away in terms of being progressive. And the reason why I want to talk about sexuality is because uh, being a nudist and, and has a lot to do with uh, being myself, being free. And I would wholeheartedly agree with Mr. Black on what, on what he said in terms of... Uh, how our government is at the moment because it's just uh even now with the coronavirus like we you've had some things to say about that as you might remember two months ago the whole country was struggling with bushfires people losing their homes whole uh sections of wildlife being wiped out and the prime minister did nothing he was off having a holiday in hawaii um now morrison is all over the news giving these stupid emergency news flashes and press coverages and all it's really doing is adding fuel to the paranoia and it's spreading more and people are doing these stupid things like going out and buying all of the toilet paper and all the canned food and and then other people are left without it and i must stress that mr blake is not kidding about the toilet paper because even in our local stores um toilet paper has basically disappeared um I'm not even sure why toilet paper even became like a like an essential thing in terms of you know uh, how people deal with you know essential uh, provisions. Is diarrhea even a um, part a, of the? It's definitely not a symptom. No, no I didn't think so. No, the only symptom well, actually, according to quite a number of websites and according to uh, a lot of professional medical websites the only few uh, symptoms include a cough a fever and shortness of breath but to be fair that covers quite a number of different um, ailments that deal with that so there could be people who might be having an asthma attack and might be thinking that they have the coronavirus but in terms of being prepared it just just showed uh, again like like the proper site, a very uh, weird side of people. Like, people buying toilet paper in large amounts. Like, there was one lady who bought about four or five packets of toilet paper in one go. Like, I'm, I know uh, there's, like, there may be, like, family reunions or, like, get-togethers, but I'm definitely sure that um, families don't use that much toilet paper. Um, idiots. Uh, paranoid idiots, I'm, I'm sorry to say. Well, not really, because it, it just goes to show that the level of misunderstanding, and this is where I like to bring my point in, because everything that I've talked about, uh, particularly around sexuality and nudism, there's still people who have really big misunderstandings of what it's about. There's still people who don't really understand, even today, what the coronavirus is, uh, what it's doing and how it can affect people. And it just goes to show that uh, we need to be properly informed. Uh, hopefully this podcast will do that for you, and hopefully Mr. Black, from time to time, will be able to do that in his appearances. Uh, how would, what would you say to that? Yeah, good. <laughs> well, in that case... Um, 
Mr. Black, is there anything you would like to say to our listeners in general in terms of uh, sexuality, in terms of the coronavirus, in terms of any anything and everything? What would you like to uh, conclude? Uh, don't buy all the toilet paper. And if you're gay, don't buy all the toilet paper. Leave some for everyone else. <laughs> oh, yes, you heard it right here, folks. Uh, don't buy all the toilet paper. Um, whether you are les- lesbian, gay, bi, uh, trans, intersexual, or questioning whoever you are, don't, don't buy-, buy all the toilet paper. Just don't do it because I'm short myself, so I need to go buy some toilet paper. Um, but that's all we have time for today, listeners. So until next uh, we listen, uh, live nude and be yourself. But thank you very much, Mr. Black, to... Uh, for joining the show once again. My pleasure. Have a good day, everyone.